Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We have been going through the book of Revelation for about uh, a few weeks now, and we've got a few weeks ahead of us still to go. Uh, Just to set the scene for where we're going today, um, have you heard of that saying, you can't see the forest for the trees? A few nods of the head out there. It's like you're so closed in by all the trees within the forest that you can't see the beauty of the forest. You're sort of surrounded by all these trees. But after a while, as you walk through the forest, you make your way to perhaps a high lookout point and then you can look back and you can see the forest. Now, it's not just trees, you can see the forest. And it's spectacular when you look back and think, was I just walking through all that? You don't actually see that sometimes because you're so surrounded by the trees. You think... This is wonderful what I just walked through. Well, today, as we think about that to some extent, we're going to see a glimpse of the mystery that we are walking through, certainly with some of God's judgments here in the book of Revelation. But what we'll find, that God is doing something wonderful and beautiful in drawing people to himself from many nations here. Sometimes we can't see that, what's happening around about us, because we can't see it because of the trees. But we get a vantage point here through God's word to look down on that. And we're going to see that today through God's judgment mysterious as that is and good as that is, we're going to see he's drawing people to himself. So got your Bibles, uh, go to Revelation chapter 6. Uh, today we're going to cover both 6 and 7, but I'm going to read just a small passage out of uh, chapter 6, so verse 12 through to 17. Verse 12, uh, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, and full moon, and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come, and who can stand? Father, we thank you today as we are able to gather here in this room. Uh, Lord, freely able to gather, as uh, someone uh, said earlier on, Lord, uh, we're not like the people of Ukraine who are unfortunately, Lord, having bombs and shells dropped around about them, but there will be churches meeting today there, Lord, meeting today to come and gather around your word. So I pray now as we do that, Holy Spirit, please awaken our hearts and stir our hearts here of this work that you're doing in drawing people to yourself from many, many nations amongst your judgments. Now, Lord, we ask and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, what's going to be really helpful if you keep your Bibles open through on chapter 6 and chapter 7 because we are going to be skimming through this at fairly good speed so if you haven't got your Bible open there you're going to feel a bit lost or a bit where are we going with all this so keep your Bibles open there we will pull some important stuff out but just if I refer to something you can quickly glance down and then we know where we're going with that okay so chapters 6 to 18 for those who are familiar with the book of Revelation are some of the most intense and mysterious chapters of this wonderful book It's somewhat straightforward from up to chapters 1 to 5, 
chapters 6 to about 18 um, is quite mysterious and quite intense. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the book of Revelation, you might think, are you guys just going to talk about dragons and beasts and bowls and all sorts of weird animals? This is the Bible and we will actually try and unpack this as best we can because it's here in these chapters between 6 and 18 that we meet some of the most intriguing and strangest language that we're not used to in our Western culture as we see the way things are described here for us in these chapters. We have what is called apocalyptic language in its full range over these uh, raft of chapters and it's just a way that they would speak then to bring heightened intensity about what is taking place. Very descriptive language uh, and would sound strange to us as we read through that. Also, what we're going to see in these chapters, which we're not going to cover obviously all of them today, but we're going to see uh, repetition, repetition over these chapters between 6 and 18, remembering that the book of Revelation isn't written in a linear straight line fashion like this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. John hasn't written it like that and it hasn't been revealed to him like that. It's not written in complete chronological order in that way. Uh, Today we have seven seals in the chapters we can look at. And then in chapters 8 to 11, we have seven trumpets. And then in chapters 15 and 16, we have seven bowls. There's like repetition here. And it's here of God's good and right judgment over a sinful world that John's going to keep circling back to. He's going to go through it like three times. We're going to have seven seals of judgment. We're going to have seven trumpets of judgment. And we're going to have seven bowls of judgment. So John's going to keep circling back here to like a similar thing as he communicates that to us. Uh, Quickly, where we've been over the last few weeks is this. Seven churches, so there's seven again. Seven's a very popular number in the book of Revelation. Seven churches are facing persecution and hardship in following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Jesus writes letters to these seven churches and the whole idea of this is to conquer this world and not to compromise with it to conquer this world and not compromise with it. John then begins to build a huge foundation for us to grow our faith and our strength to be able to persevere through what's coming. And he does this through a a vision of God's throne room. We saw that in chapter 4 with God's sovereign supremacy sitting on the throne, controlling all of history, all of time from his sovereign power. And in Revelation 5, we see then a central focus shifts to Jesus Christ as the lamb that was slain. We see that vision we looked at last week where John's looking for this lion of the tribe of Judah who's overcome the world, but then he sees a lamb that was slain sort of walking out there and the salvation that he gives to all who put their trust in him. So this week now as we come to chapter 6 and 7 of Revelation, our big idea is going to be this. God's judgment, this is one of the first judgment of the three, God's judgment towards sinners is already... It's already upon this world. And they are his means of pointing us and awakening us towards salvation. So God's judgment towards sinners is already upon this world. They're his means of pointing and awakening us towards salvation. Okay, let's jump into it then. What we have here in chapter 6 and 7 is an ongoing or developing scene that's taken place. Uh, We see God in his sovereign power sitting upon his throne. He's holding a scroll a scroll that contains the world's history and its future purposes in his right hand. This scroll is there. No one is found worthy to take that scroll and unseal it and open up what God's purposes are, except 
Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the Lamb that was slain. The Lamb takes this scroll and now begins to open up these seven seals here that have this scroll sealed up. And here's what I believe that these seven seals are revealing for us. I believe that these seven seals are the current days that we are living in right now, from the resurrection of Jesus till his second coming, till his coming again. Those seven seals are the current time period that we are living in now. These seven seals reveal the current judgments of God upon the world and also the persecutions of believers that they are facing today. Currently, these are God's judgment that we are all under to some extent. So come with me now as we sort of look through this. We're not going to put these verses up on the screen. So you'll be able to glance down at your phone or your Bible. In verse 2 of chapter 6, we see seal 1. What we see there is a conquering horse and rider comes onto the scene as this seal is opened up. Now, this is really hard for us to know, well, who is the rider on this horse? We're not given lots of detail or description there by John about who this is. Is it some sort of false conqueror? Or, because we think it's a, we're told there it's a white horse, is it the same horse as in chapter 19 that Jesus comes on a white horse? To me, to me, and I guess some of these things in Revelation we actually have to hold a little bit loosely. To me, and the other commentators that I read this week, to me, uh, it looks like it's Jesus with his kingdom advancing and conquering sin and death. In many respects, it's the beginning of the gospel age. It's the first seal that's opened up. Jesus has come, he's overcome this world and now the gospel is beginning to break forth into this world, conquering sin and death. Seal number two. We see another horse and rider arrive in verses three and four. But this horse and rider are permitted to take peace from the world and that men will actually go and kill each other as well. Now think about that. Isn't that what we see in the world today? Isn't that what we already are experiencing? Hasn't that been witnessed down through the ages? Wars, the taking of peace from the earth. Think about the current day conflict in Ukraine. That's a war. Are they experiencing peace there at this particular time? No. This is that seal here where this has been unleashed onto the world as part of God's judgment, that there is not peace here because of sinfulness, and men are killing each other. Seal number three, this time we have a black horse in verses five and six, and this black horse, or the person on the horse, is holding a pair of weighing scales, and what this person is calling out is outrageous prices for common day goods and items. Talks there about a denarius for a loaf of bread and whatnot. If you actually equate that to today's terms, it's like a day's wage for a loaf of bread. So it's $200 for a loaf of bread. Now, what does that speak of? It speaks of economic hardship. Economic hardship, where the simplest things of life are what we'll work all day for to purchase. Again, we witness that today. That's actually happening in this world, where the poor are being exploited by the rich And many people in third world countries, they are labouring all day just to get some food on the table at the end of that day. That's upon us right now. We don't experience that so much here in the Western culture, 
But we, I've visited countries where the, the husband will go out and work. He works all day just to put some food on the table of his family that night. Verses 7 and 8, chapter 6 still, we see seal 4. Uh, we see a deathly pale horse riding out over the earth and the rider there is given authority to allow death to spread throughout the world through the sword, through famine, through pestilence and wild beasts. Well, people are killing each other in our streets, aren't they? The murder rate I just read the other day in Chicago in USA is actually increasing exponentially with some people don't want to go on the south side of Chicago for fear of their life. That's happening. Famine sweeps through many countries of Africa, killing thousands through starvation. It's a current day aspect that's taking place. Pestilence also is another thing. Pestilence, which is like disease, maybe something like COVID-19, again, is killing hundreds of thousands around the world. And not only that, we've had the Black Plague, if you want to go right back into history in, in Europe, it killed, I think, about a quarter of the population of the known world at that time. So we've had famine, uh, uh, sorry, pestilence and disease taking place currently. Uh, John there is told that this horse, uh, this rider also says that wild beasts will inflict death upon the earth. Well, again, we just had in Sydney, was it about two or three weeks ago, here's a beast in the waters just off the coast of a swimming beach, a shark mauls a person to death. We have that happening, not regularly, hopefully, but it's happening. The 15-year-old boy was killed by a box jellyfish in Mackay about three weeks ago, stung and they couldn't be revived. So he's like wild beasts inflicting death here upon the earth. This is all happening now. This isn't some future judgment by God. At this, it, this is actually happening now as we sit here today. We all experience this judgment right now. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, God then cursed the world or placed it under judgment for their rebellion before him. And that's what we are feeling and that's what we are experiencing right now. Quickly, uh, come with me now to Romans chapter 1 and we'll put this up on the screen for you. Uh, where we see God's judgment revealed to this world right now. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed, not going to be revealed or has been revealed, but is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So this judgment of God God's wrath or his right anger, and we're going to deal with that in a few weeks' time because that's an uncomfortable subject for people to think about but they can't equate God with wrath. But God's wrath, his judgment, is revealed now. We sit under that now. Three times in this chapter, which is a really important chapter of the book of Romans, Paul writes these words. We're going to quickly throw these verses up for you. Verse 24 there, you'll see the words, God gave them up. Go to verse 26, you'll see it again. And God gave them up. And you'll go to verse 28 and you'll see it again. And God gave them up. Read through Romans, Romans 1 really carefully and you'll see God's right judgment. That God gives them up to their wicked choices and wicked desires to reap the consequences of those choices and desires. God gives them over to his judgment for their sinfulness before him. Really important is what Paul writes here. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. God's revealing that judgment to us now. So I'm convinced 
convinced here that these first seals are already working in the world. It's already happening. We are experiencing this at different levels. Some countries more than others, but every country to some extent. And I believe this is exactly what John's confirming with these seven churches as he writes to them, because he wants to write to them to strengthen them and enable them to persevere through what's coming, just the normal course of life, the challenges we face. God's temporary judgments are already in place and already outworking themselves. Let's move on. That's only the first four seals. We come to the fifth seal now of history and John has shown something else in this. He sees the persecution of the church, the persecution of the followers of Jesus who are being killed or murdered simply for following Christ. Look in verse 10. He says this, And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood so their blood's been spilled, they've been murdered, on those who dwell on the earth. It's a cry there of justice. It's a cry there, Lord, of how long? There's a desperate cry when you actually think about what they're doing. These ones have been martyred for Christ and they're crying out, how long, Lord, how much longer will this go on? How long before you'll judge those who've murdered us simply for following you? And then they're told in verse 11, Jesus says, rest a little longer. Rest a little longer until the full number of those destined, destined to be martyred is fulfilled or complete. Now what Jesus says there is soberingly powerful. There are more of you who will die for me yet. That number is not yet complete. There'll be more of you who will be martyred for simply following me and that will bring glory to my name and see my kingdom grow through your death. You see, when I read that, I'm even further convinced that these seals are a picture of the past that's gone before us or gone behind us and the present day we are in. It's happening right now. Persecution is happening today. I read the other day that there were more Christians killed in the 20th century than all the previous 19 centuries put together. Unbelievable numbers are being murdered for simply following Christ. There's some figures out now that I can get hold of that show that it's about 10,000 people a year who are martyred for following Christ. What does that mean? That means there's about 27 people a day who are being murdered. What does that mean? That means while we gather here this morning Two people somewhere in the world will be killed for following Jesus for no other reason than they're just naming the name of Christ. As we sit and gather today, two people in this period, but for the rest of the day, another 25 people will be killed for following Jesus. You can hear their cries, can't you, for these martyrs? How long must we suffer while this goes on? How long, Lord, before you avenge what's taken place here, Lord? This is currently happening as we gather today. Jesus then opens the sixth seal. The Lamb comes and opens the sixth seal, which is entirely different to the rest. Entirely different to the rest. The sixth seal, I believe, points us to the final judgment that Jesus will bring at the end of time. Scan down to verses 12 and 14, and what you'll see through there is a world and universe that is actually unravelling or disintegrating 
you'll see a world there where its physical order is just being pulled apart. It's the end of the world. And that's not a Hollywood movie title. That is literally what is happening in these verses. It is the end of the world. And what you see there is a very sobering realisation of God's judgment at that particular time. There's a real sense, particularly in verses 15 and 16, with this final judgment, that they are fearful. The people remaining on earth at this time are fearful of a holy God seeking justice, a right justice, an incredible fear. If you read through it, they're scrambling for caves. They're looking for the caves in the mountains to hide from the wrath of this lamb. And they're actually so fearful of, of God's judgment at this time that they'd rather have the mountains come and crush them and fall on them than face this righteous, wrath-filled lamb. It's a fearful picture here of the end of the world. Now, we're not going to deal with that today. We're going to put a whole talk towards that in a few weeks' time, particularly as we get to the last seven bowls, the third series here of Judgment of the World. But circling back, though, as as we put this together... I can't help but believe these first five seals are the current day we are living in. We are experiencing these things. There's no question about that. All these things are happening now and will continue to happen and maybe at a higher rate of knots the closer we get until Jesus returns. These are the current judgments that we are sitting under now. As we think about that, I want us to take note here of these really searching words in verse 17 have a look in chapter 6 verse 17 which is sort of the tail end of that passage there and John is told for the great day of their for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand who can stand for the great day of God's final wrath has come and who can stand that's a very searching question that's a very searching question Can anyone stand before the wrath of a true and good judge in Jesus in their own perspective? Answer, no. No one can. But John does let us know that there is salvation amongst this judgment, amongst what's happening here with the Lamb as he actually administers his judgment, both temporary and then in this final judgment to come. There are those who can stand in this last day while judgment goes on. Now, just take a breather, okay? We've been skimming through a whole lot of passages of the Bible there. Um, I know we're flying through this stuff, but if you keep looking down, and that's the reason why we say in the Friday email, have a good read of these chapters before we get there, because you're sort of dialed in and you know where we're going and you don't feel like you're swimming in water that's over your head. There are some that can stand, and John's going to take us in now. Have a look at uh, the start of Revelation 7. We see there that there are four angels that are positioned at the four corners of the earth, and they are told there to stay their powers. It's like they're about to unleash something and, ho- and just let it go, but they're told, stay your powers, hold your arm. Hold their powers for what? Why, why restrict them? Why restrain them? What's going on here? Because God is in the work of salvation. God is in the work of salvation. God is calling people to himself. God is in loving grace, rescuing and saving people ultimately from this final judgment that will come and will be devastatingly shocking. Look at what's said there in verses 3 and 4 as we go into it, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 
144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. What does that mean? Two questions there that really pop out to us in that sense, isn't it? There's salvation, but sealed on their foreheads? The 144,000? Let's think about what the sealed on their foreheads could mean. It does seem like some sort of marking on their forehead. Like, is something tattooed on them? Is there some sort of, you know, physical marking that's taking place there? Let's think again about John and the way he's writing here. He's bringing a whole lot of Old Testament imagery into this writing of Revelation, mixing that in together with apocalyptic language. And you'll actually come back, if you went into Ezekiel, you'd see a whole lot of stuff there uh, where John's referencing as he writes the book of Revelation. And the language of Ezekiel talks about sealing people as well there. But this sealing or marking, we don't believe is some sort of tattoo or some sort of physical marking on their forehead to actually physically mark them off, that's visibly seen. This sealing, this sealing here that God's doing, is God's way of saying, those who I have marked out, those who I've set aside, those who I have put aside for my own purpose and set apart for salvation, There are those, God says, who I will seal them with my Holy Spirit. I have marked them out in my own mind, in my own purposes. There are those who will be spared from my final judgment because I have marked them out and set them apart from that. So it's a a symbolic thing when we hear that word sealed. It's not something physical that's put across a forehead or anything like that. And we'll actually see this again echoed through the mark of the beast in a few chapters time as well. So it's not a physical thing. It's, it's like marking somebody out. I'm setting these people aside. What about the 144,000? People obviously ask questions, well, what does that mean? Does that mean only 144,000 are going to get to heaven? That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses think, but they've actually changed that now. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses aren't Christians. It's a cult. Jehovah's Witnesses now, the 144,000, are the 144,000 elite Jehovah's Witnesses and the others still can get in but you're now trying to work yourself into the elite group of Jehovah's Witnesses in the 144,000. Still, what does that mean? Uh, Again, numbers in the Bible and the culture of the day have significant meaning. 144,000 simply means completion or fullness. Numbers mean something. If I said to you, I like to eat breakfast 24-7 what would you think? I'm eating breakfast all day, every day, wouldn't you? Numbers have a meaning for us. This 144,000 is completion or its fullness. So when John says that 144,000 will be sealed, marked out, set apart by God, here's what the seven churches hear when they read what John's written. God won't miss anybody that's been marked out for salvation. If God has set them aside for salvation, they will not be missed out. They will not be left behind. The fullness and the completion of all those sealed by God, set apart by God, will be rescued. Not one will miss out for those that God's set apart for that. And to think about this number 144,000, if you go into the next verse, verse 9 there, you actually see that there's a, 
a number of people gathered that cannot be counted. It's talking about the same group of people. It's a number that cannot be counted. It's a massive number of people. So how are they sealed and how are they saved? Well, then we actually get to see that again. Uh, This is the work of Jesus. This is the work of the Lamb that was slain. Look in verse 14. In verse 14 there, we see um, the angel asks John, who are these people? This innumerable number that cannot be counted. And John answers in verse 14 by saying, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They're white robes. What are they? They're purified garments of salvation. And they're made this way by the blood of the Lamb, by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay the price of our sins. That's how they're made pure and clean and holy before the Lord, through what Jesus has done for them. What's John doing? As he actually draws us back to this point again of the blood of the Lamb, John's doing what he did in chapter 5 last week. He's bringing us back to the gospel again. He's bringing us back to the central person of Jesus Christ who is the centre of this book. It's all about Christ. And you'll see this reflected time and time again as John takes us through this and sees this vision. It's all about Jesus here in the book of Revelation. So as we take all that in, chapter 6 and chapter 7, and I haven't talked about the, the beautiful song that they sing there, Uh, In verses 15 through 17, at the end of 7, that is just a glorious picture. We are going to get to that as well. I'm just sort of saving some of this stuff up for down the track. But what's he doing? What's God doing here in the midst of these judgments? He's rescuing people. He's saving people from his final judgment. It's salvation. Through the judgments that we're under right now, God is using these to seal people with his Holy Spirit. He's using the current troubles and trials that we're going through to point us towards Christ, to point us towards the cross. Think about, again, you know, uh, topic at the moment, the war in Ukraine. It's awakening people all over the world to the brokenness of this world. Nobody really wants war, other than Vladimir Putin and a few others in in the Kremlin. No one else wants war. We don't want that. Think about all the protests that are... Was it last week or the week before? All over the world protesting again. We don't want war, we want peace. Nobody wants to see the world in turmoil. God will use these revealed seals of war and broken peace. It'll be a means. It'll be God's means of directing people to Jesus, directing people to Christ. Again, as we said last week, we've already seen record downloads in the Russian language of the Version Bible app probably a direct result of what's taking place here in Ukraine. God's using these judgments to draw people to himself. People are looking up and they're looking around the sword and they're asking questions like this. Why is there war? Why are we fighting each other? Why does an evil tyrant like Vladimir Putin just go and invade this country and kill innocent men, women and children? I'm sure some Russians are asking the very same question. Sometimes they're forgotten people in this. Not all of them are on board with what's happening there. They're thinking, what are we doing? Why are we just going to this country and crushing them? They're looking up and they're saying, what is wrong with this world? God's using that to awaken hearts through his judgments being revealed through this world. 
Here's the thought that struck me as I was reading through these chapters, and it comes here as, as a picture of a beautiful, beautiful mosaic that God is doing through this mystery of all his judgments working out. Have a look in verses, uh, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 with me. It's a beautiful end of this, um, this chapter here. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. That's the 144,000. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a stirring proclamation there. Because of sin, we live in a racist world, a terribly racist world. We can all easily become overly patriotic or nationalistic about who we are. We may think our nation, our people group, our tribe, our skin colour, that we are the real deal. We are the people who hold our culture together. We are the people who are the ones, the important ones here. And we're the ones who lead the way around this world. And these other people, these other tribes, these other nations, these other skin-coloured people, whoever they may be, they're the ones who are messing up our world. They're the ones messing up our country, trying to bring their culture and their ways and inflict them upon us and try and crush us. And then we begin to think all these other groups of people, they're the ones who are responsible for all the trouble we find ourselves in now. We want to blame it on them, not on our group. If only they could be like us, the rest of the country would be okay. Just become like us. Sometimes it leads to this. I was at Bunnings the other month where a security person was just doing their job and checking vaccination certificates. As much as that's an uncomfortable thing, he was just checking vaccination certificates as they come in. Just did this and this person came up and they refused to show any details and they just got verbally abusive at the security guard. Just, just, and I was about 20 metres away and you could hear it as clear as day what he was saying to that, uh, she was saying to this security guard. And this customer's parting comment to this African security guard was, go back to your own country. We don't want you here. You could hear that probably within about 30 metres of that front entrance of Bunnings. It was sickening. It was just sickening to hear that. That's what racism is. It says, you're not as good as me. You're not as good as me. You're not as equal worth to me. You're not, you don't have the same respect or dignity that I deserve. Just go back to your own country and leave us alone. But here's the beautiful thing that God's doing amongst that judgment. The gospel in the midst of that is actually rescuing and saving people. Jesus didn't die just for Aussies. Jesus didn't die just for Westerners. Jesus didn't die just for the people of my tribe or my skin colour or my group. Jesus died for all people. All people. Because all people are made in the image of God, of equal respect, equal worth, equal dignity, and all should be loved just the same, regardless of who they are and what country they come from. And we see it right here in this passage. Yes, the seals of God's judgment are presently unfolding and they're warning signs of of a bigger judgment that's coming. It's like these are amber lights that are flashing, but there's a big red light going to come real soon. But God, in the midst of this, is graciously creating a beautiful mosaic from every tribe, every tongue and every nation to come together as one people, to stand there holding those branches, saying salvation belongs to our Lord. 
I know myself, I am personally enriched when being with people of other cultures and seeing their faith shine out for Christ. It does wonders for my heart and my soul when I see that. I have some great connections with both Chinese believers and Indian believers. And when I'm with these guys and hear them talk about the way Jesus has changed their life and impacted them, it grows my love for God. I love to see other nations and cultures embrace Christ. It actually just brings a beautiful picture of God's glory to my own heart and it actually inspires me and encourages me when I see that. It's a wonderful and beautiful thing that the Lord is doing. And then I say, I'm going to be part of that one day. I'm going to stand amongst that number that cannot be counted, that mosaic that Jesus is creating and I'm going to join my voice with theirs and I'm going to cry at that very same thing. Salvation belongs to our Lord. He's bringing them in from every tribe and tongue and nation. It's a glorious picture of God's grace working through the midst of these mysterious judgments that take place around about us. And this collective of people, as we come together, will actually be part of how God uses that to strengthen us, to enable us to grow in our faith, to persevere through what's coming, as we see his gospel working through all these nations. Revelation 6 and 7 encourages me encourages me as I see what the Lord is doing. Yes, there's a serious judgment coming, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But what I see in that is just a wonderful power of what God's doing to draw all these people to himself. It's a beautiful mosaic of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can uh, gather here this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, Revelation chapter 6 and 7. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are revealing to us the judgments that we are already under, the things that we're already experiencing. But Lord, we see in the midst of that, that you have marked out people, that you have sealed them with your spirit. You are bringing them, Lord, from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group to gather them together in one glorious day for eternity where we will sing the praises of your glorious name. God, I pray today, please help us to see that that is a wonderful powerful vision of the gospel working in people's hearts and lives. Lord, help us to be part of that mission right now. While we sit under these judgments, these right judgments for our rejection of you, help us to sit under these judgments, but trusting in what Christ has done for us and then joining in with him on that mission to rescue and save people from every tribe, tongue and nation. Father, we long to see that here at Exchange. Lord, I thank you for the many nations you have gathered here in this body. We pray, God, please would you grow that would you bring people from many, many nations here into this church so that we could be a picture of this beautiful mosaic that, it, that proclaims the glory of God into this world. Give us a heart to love. Give us a heart to serve. Give us a heart to be filled with faith and courage as you do that. Today we ask and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.